Hello and welcome back to another live episode of the Unfounded Podcast. I want to thank each and every one of you that are now currently viewing the episodes live on Facebook uh, and on YouTube. Um, Also, any listeners that are listening to this out uh, during the week or whenever you actually come across it, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And let me see if I can turn my phone off here real quick so we don't have too much of a distraction. Anyway, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing pretty good? Let me see if I can get on the right... I'm I'm good. Okay. So I got a new background here. I don't know if you guys noticed uh, in that first episode, it was a, if you did watch the first one, it was a little distracting, all of the stuff going on behind me. So I put more of a static background behind me to, to help out a little bit. I uh, hope you're doing well. hope your week started out well, and I hope you, uh, you're starting it off on the right foot. That being said, there's a lot to talk about in the world right now, a lot going on, a lot of nerve-wracking changes going on right now. Confusion is a good way to describe it. And like most of the episodes we've been going through thus far, I want to, well, as you can tell, I do have the music going for you guys in the background first off, so I hope you enjoy that. Um, I'm not going to be able to tell live if the levels are okay. I tried to check beforehand. Um, That's why I had that little break at the beginning. So hopefully it's not like overpowered at all. Uh, The music isn't overpowering what I'm saying at all, but we'll figure out later, right? Anyway, let's roll right into it. Um, First off, uh, guys, if you are enjoying the show, please uh, check out my web pages. There we go. Um, first one's going to be off uh, on Instagram. Uh, it's Instagram.com slash The Unfounded Pod. Check me out on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash The Unfounded Podcast. Also, if you like the, the pod and you want to su- support in like a monetary way, I do have a Patreon page. That is at Patreon.com slash The Unfounded Pod. Alrighty. Um, if you guys uh, want to share this with somebody or you want to kind of check out more about uh, more episodes or a little more information about the podcast, check out my website at the the-unfounded-podcast.simplecast.com. Uh, all information about the pod on there as well as links to all of the uh, aforementioned websites and my pages. Okay, so now that we have all that out of the way, let's go ahead and roll into it. I'm a little nervous again. This is much more nerve-wracking doing it live, guys. Much more nerve-wracking than it is the prior process when I was doing it just by myself. Even though I don't edit these, um, there's something about knowing that people are watching you that's very (laughs) nerve-wracking. But thank you for doing so. I want to talk about Charles Bukowski today, and I want to start with a quote by him, because I think it's fitting for the time frame we're living in and the, the current events that are going on around us right now as well. That quote is... It's actually kind of the title of a book or the subtitle of a book um, by him. And it's what matters most is how well you walk through the fire. Like I said, that is by Charles Bukowski. I want to read you a little bit about Charles Bukowski real quick. It's an interesting character, kind of a dark figure. Um, A lot of depth in his thought. Henry Charles Bukowski, this is off of Wikipedia. Um, was a German-American poet, novelist, and short story writer. His writings, what his writing was influenced by the social, cultural, and economic ambiance of his home city of Los Angeles, which is interesting. This more modern kind of metropolis. His work addresses the ordinary lives of poor Americans. The act of writing, alcohol, relationships with women, and the drudgery of work. Bukowski wrote thousands of poems, hundreds of short stories, and six novels, eventually publishing over 60 books. The FBI kept a file on him as a result of his columns Notes of a Diary of a Dirty Old Man in the L.A. Underground Newspaper. I heard about that book before. Um, Charles Bukowski pushed boundaries. Uh, The things that he talked about were the kind of taboo, unfounded ideas that um, many people feel uncomfortable talking about, and I think that's partially why I I am drawn to his philosophy. 
this idea of what what defines you is how well you walk through the fire whether you have the ability to or you choose to you do have the ability to it's whether you choose to right I, I believe like this is this is applicable at a grand scale. That what's happening right now, especially politically in the United States, is a sort of fire, a kind of wildfire. It's the kind of chaos that you'll see within nature. It's it's similar to that, right? It's it's the hurricane. It's the the volcanic eruption. It's the unforeseen chaos within the system itself. That exists nonetheless, whether you recognize it or not. That what we are experiencing right now is something like the hurricane of our time. But in a deep philosophical way. It's odd to say that when, objectively, as I've said in many other episodes too, that we live in, a, in, in the most comfortable time. We have all of this comfort. All of these things we can latch onto to distract ourselves from the modern day-to-day drudgery but what I find interesting is that those things don't fix those problems they don't make them go away what it's done is in some ways inspired inside of us as a modern individual a modern human being this desire to eliminate suffering itself but the more comfort the closer we've come to comfort the more it's, it's, it's disassociated us from where we've come from from some some of the fundamental truths that exist within existence itself, something like the fundamental duality of life, uh, something like the necessity for darkness and light, um, the very Eastern philosophy there, right? But something like like there's a there is a fundamental reality, and it's something like left, right, up, down, good, bad, dark, light, and that one of the foul one of the follies in that kind of thinking that type of thinking the modern thinking that, that we have the ability in some ways to eliminate this type of suffering is that we eliminate the option that actually allows our growth internally that the only way you grow and it's one of the reasons why behind me right now i have this uh, image of uh the sculpture right what is it it's a man sculpting himself right and this is one of the images I've, I've put on my podcast uh, web pages. And one of the one of the is one of the reasons I like it is it's a philosophical idea that you're both you're both the marble and the sculptor. Uh, it's like there's a quote by somebody I can't remember I've gone over before who who said that, but that that man is both the marble and the sculptor. Let me, let me look that up real quick for you guys. Hold on. And is both. That I'm not. I'm messing up that typing. The marble <laughs> and the sculptor. Let's see who. Let's see who quoted that. Alexis Carroll. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay, Alexis Carroll. Man cannot remake himself without suffering, for he is both the marble and the sculptor. Right. You, you see in this image, like the one that is behind me. Right. I guess that's not going to be a very good image right there. But like this one that's behind me right now, the necessity for the person themselves that wants, that has a desire to change, to chip away the outer layer, to chip away the matter that is blocking them from, from displaying their true self, right? And that the only way that that, that process happens is through some sort of suffering. That as you look at the, at the, the image behind me, there's, let me see if I can get you a better angle of it here. All right, move it out of the way. 
That's my bed. <laughs> it's not doing a very good job of cutting it out. That. The man in this image is, 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 is part of the stone. Right? That the man is the stone. The man is the substrate. And that the only way the man reveals himself is to chip away the substrate that's hiding them. And there's something valuable in this idea. There's something we've gotten away from in our modern society, as I've said. We've, we, we've missed this necessity. The comfort that we, we've experienced up until now has allowed us to, has lulled us into this certain type of slumber, certain perspective, something like a secular perspective. But in that perspective and holding that perspective for decades, what we've done is eliminated all of the things that would be a check or a balance on it, on that comfort. The normal check and balance of comfort is suffering, is the necessity of that suffering and the inability for any one person or any even group of people, any government to eliminate it in itself. Because it is something like confusing yourself or the entity that is trying to do that with God. That it's audacious and at one level, if you just look at your own personal spheres to think that you can control the other people that are within that, right? Your friends and family. To try to control the way they think, uh, their actions. It's, it's nearly impossible for you to do that. It's impossible to envision a situation where you'd be able to do that by yourself, even in your own sphere. Now try to balloon that out to your larger spheres of influence, you know, where you work maybe, right? You know, what, what, what precinct do you vote in? Right, what state you live in and what country you live in, you blow that out, right? That's a weird way to put it, but you know, you expand that out, the more crazy that idea that you can control something as, as, as broad as suffering becomes. Because suffering is an in, in, innate part of life itself. Nonetheless, we have a revulsion to it, right? That it's, it sucks to suffer. That pain itself is something that's uncomfortable. But I also believe that there's a, there's, there's a way in which you can train yourself to look for pain, to look at pain in a different way, right? To disassociate pain with something like needless suffering. That where we've gone wrong as a society is to try, is to attempt to label all suffering as unnecessary and to eliminate the whole swath of it. When in reality, what we should be doing is trying to eliminate needless suffering and necessary suffering and the distinction between that is, is hard to make but it's something like trying to identify where the individual adds on to the suffering that is that is inherent within life how does the individual add on to that how do you as an individual make the world a worse place right that's an interesting question that you don't often ask yourself. We don't like to view ourselves in critical in a, in a critical position in a, in a in a critical way. We don't do it naturally, at least. But it's a process that's necessary as well. But that when you do ask a question like that, like how have I made my day? You take something simple like that, my day worse. What you'll find is that there are immediately answers that pop into your head. That often what we'll do is we'll look past those answers. Or worse yet, we'll try to find scapegoats to explain away those, right? Instead of taking responsibility for the ways in which we've made the world a slightly worse place that day, 
in our sphere of influence, what we'll do is try to project that out and figure out how everybody else has done that. And you'll find it. You'll find ways in which people have screwed up the world because they're just like you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those people are exactly like you. They are you in a certain sense. And nobody is perfect. And in recognizing that, you can recognize the necessity for this process. For you to listen to the answers that are coming up and popping up in your head when you, answer, when you ask those questions. How have I made my, my, my day, a wor uh, day worse? By getting in my own way. By waking up late. By being aggravated. By not, not controlling my, my anger. By not, uh, uh, by not approaching people with, uh, with a, a genuine nature. Right? By being distracted. By being self-absorbed. Uh, by being in a rush. By being in a hurry. All of these things are ways in, in which you can describe the modern ego. That I said in one of the very first episodes, I, I went back and listened to this this week, that we as a, as a civilization are obsessed with ourselves. It's the first episode I did. It was one of the Vedic podcasts. That humanity as a civilization, as a thing, is obsessed with, this, with itself. That the ego problem that has been present within the individual ever since the death of God, as Nietzsche declared it, and the rise of secularism... What secularism has produced as it's propagated inside of the individual is something like ego egotism, unfettered egotism. On top of that, to complicate it more, we've made systems or, or, or the systems that we certain systems that we have in place incentivize these types of this type of behavior. Right? That there's an aspect, I'm not trying to rail against capitalism in itself, but there's an aspect of capitalism that that When unchecked by an outside source, an outside force, what traditionally would have been like the religious structures, the moral code that comes from those religious structures, um, without that check, that, that that check and balance in place, um, people operating within our our form of economy, within a capitalist economy, have a tendency towards tyranny. You know, <laughs> just like just like a like a you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That is true not only in a political sense, but also in an economic sense. And that what we've done is allowed that rule to run rampant in a certain certain way. And and not only run rampant, but because it's ran it, because we've allowed it to grow out of proportion, and we've in some ways made a false idol out of money itself, that is now the thing that we present as the good mode of being. The good life itself, uh, in some ways in the modern sense, at least in the Western world, consists of attaining wealth. But that there's a purpose behind the attainment of wealth in that as well. That it's not specifically for the attainment of the money. That in an odd way, we all recognize that money doesn't mean anything. That money, money really isn't anything to hold. That what we want is what the money represents. And most people would be like, yes, the house, the car, the food, the clothes. Yes, all of those things. But the biggest part of it is the power aspect. Not because hierarchies have a tendency to be constructed that way, but more because hierarchies have a tendency to corrupt that way. It's an idea that I just 
pulled from Jordan Peterson earlier today in one of the lectures he was talking about. He was talking about this tendency for capitalist structure, or any structure really, it doesn't matter what kind of structure it is, but a hierarchy itself where you have a value equation in some way. A separation or compartmentalization of responsibility and an outs- and a stratified uh, example of the power in that hierarchy. You know, one, one, one huge chunk of that power going to a very limited individual or person or group, right? Uh, the board of directors or the CEO or whatever, whoever it is in that structure. That because the checks haven't been in place, because the religious structure... or even if you don't want to talk about the religious structures, if you if you refute the idea that the morality came from religious structure, something like a humanist, then you would argue that 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 that, that morality is something like an inbuilt it's an inbuilt it's a necessity, right? That morality is something like a technology that's developed uh, or evolved over time to allow people to for society to, to to develop. I would argue that 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 the method or the mechanism of evolution in that is the religious structure under which it developed. But it's neither here nor there, right? The point is that without that moral check, without the idea in a very funny way that somebody's sitting on a cloud watching you or that there will be a comeuppance at some point for the ways in which you act in this world, without that enforcement arm attached to it, what people do is tend to fall into the easier or more comfortable responses or uh, actions to their default programming. And so, if you put a, you, you take an individual and you place them into a hierarchy, one 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 in which they have to compete, one that's competitive, like a capitalist structure, uh, and you don't have some kind of moral code or ethic guiding that, what that person will do eventually. If they aren't, you know, like I said, being controlled in some way on the outside like that, is they'll 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 devolve slowly over time. And if you have everybody doing that over a long period of time, it's inevitable that people that are acting in that way, they're acting immoral and ethically, will go up in those structures of hierarchy. The higher they go go up in the structure, the less likely they are to leave it. The less likely that it is that they're going to promote people that would refute their method of being, right? People that would say, hey, you're acting unethically or morally. Well, once they have power, those people, bye-bye, right? And that in some ways what's happened in a political sense and an economic sense, regardless of the structure, is this process over time. That as secularism has taken over and tried to find proof of God, been unable to prove it in the, from the secular perspective, people have left and fled religion and religious structure. On top of that, I believe that there's been attack on the religious structures and institutions in the Western world that's a much more, much more insidious, that there's very specific worldviews that have been trying to assassinate in some way the character of these institutions. Not that they haven't done a lot to assassinate their own character themselves, right? <laughs> but that there is this... Uh, there has been this desire throughout history to eliminate the old ways of thinking, quotation marks. And that in doing this, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And because of that, our structures, structures that depend on that moral and ethical reigning in, no longer function properly. But that we aren't properly, we aren't recognizing that right now, in the United States at least. That what we're doing is kind of going, la 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 la, it's all going to be okay, right? But what you see when you look out into the news and you look out into the political situation at least 
Um, maybe not necessarily economically, but I think in certain aspects, depending on where you exist in that chain or that hierarchy, you can definitely feel this happening. Um, that, but it's more, much more obvious politically right now that without that force, that, that, that moron ethical reigning in, essentially what happens is egos run rampant. And those egos infect the structures of uh, the hierarchies that we put in place. The higher they go on the hierarchies, the more it looks like the method of being, the mode of being, is that not an ethical or moral mode of being, right? And that this is what's happened over time. And that now we are sitting in a place where our leaders, who are representative, in an odd way I've argued against this, that they're not doing a very good job, but maybe they are, that our leaders really are a good representation in some way of the moral and ethical decay of the United States of America, that in an odd way, our structures are working in that sense, right? They are functioning properly. But we do have, <laughs> we just don't like the reflection we see in the mirror, right? But that I do believe that there's, we are headed for a the, the more chaos. And I, I've been saying this for a while, again, not to be a fear monger, but that it's an, I think it's necessary for people to prepare themselves for the kind of chaos that is possible in this world. The kind of chaos I was just describing that's existed, exists within nature itself, that most other human beings have had intimate knowledge of um, and a lack of choice over having that intimate knowledge of most of human humanity's existence one of the questions you get asked then is, is what's the point then if everything's devolving everything's kind of falling apart in a certain sense then why are we What's the point of trying, right? And I do think that this is the, actually the way that people are starting to feel, especially politically. That I'm trying not to get too much into the specifics of this election because it's so chaotic and there's so much misinformation going on there on both sides, from what I can tell, that it's impossible to root through it and find any kind of objective truth, <laughs> right? We've gone over objective truths before. In a weird way, I think this is demonstrating my point, right? That objective truth doesn't exist in that sense, but that's not what I mean to talk about tonight. That we, we, we are headed for a dangerous to a, very quickly to a place where this could fall completely apart. There's a high likelihood actually right now that it could. I believe, and this is the argument that I'm going to make, is, is that the reason that one of the fundamental assumptions the Founding Fathers had and the reason that you see in the Declaration all men are created equal under God is under God is that the Founding Fathers understood the necessity for that out from, for that external control on individuals that if you if you read the way that the founding fathers talked about the polity itself a lot of them did not have a lot of respect for the large swath of the masses that they recognized the dangerous that, that, that there's dangerous aspects of the group and that in general most people are more preoccupied with their own well-being than with the well-being of the world itself or what's going on in the, their local town or whatever it is and that 
what tends to happen is they only pay attention to the things that are most salacious, even back then, right? And so <laughs> there was a necessity to rein in this tendency, this mob mentality as well, that there was a necessity to have individuality. There was a necessity for people to feel comfortable in expressing themselves. There was a necessity in people for people to be reined in individually so that the structures that we were put in place actually functioned properly because the one thing that the United States can't function properly like those structures can't function if you have bad actors if you have people being intellectually dishonest that in some ways this system the system of the United States is de is designed on truth fundamental tr truth it's the it's the closest attempt we've gotten to an objective truth as we talked about in last episode That there's no way that we could ever get everybody to that we could get everybody to agree on one idea or one perspective, but that the closest thing we've come up to uh, up with until the uh, up until this point is is that crowdsourcing it, crowdfunding it, crowdfunding the objective truth, doing it in the most simple way, right? We could get into the specifics of how our president is elected and the differences between a popular vote and electoral system that we have. It's not necessary. I don't think. These are these are weeds problems, right? Specifics when the problem is a much more fundamental one. One of the the questions we're coming to right now is is where have what assumption have we made that is wrong? Because it's so obvious that this isn't working right now. But I'm very quickly coming to the realizing that people are not going to realize this. That that comfort, that slumber we're in, we are deeply in. It's ambient territory. <laughs> we are out for the count. And if... <laughs> If we keep sleeping on this, it's like we've done it for too long. Now the only way that we fix this problem is to develop a new way, a new philosophy, a new mode of being, one that leverages the modern individual properly, one that finds a way to instill inside the individual this moral and ethical code without the external factor, without the idea of God sitting on a cloud. That in general, most people, will, even most religious people, don't agree with the idea of a physical being sitting on a cloud watching over them anymore. So that there's a necessity for us to develop a new mode of, of moral and ethical reigning in. That Nietzsche talked about this, and that it's it's like spine chilling listening to Beyond Good and Evil. I was listening to that in the car uh, yesterday when I was driving. That Nietzsche is pr prophetic in so many ways. It's 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 shocking. But that he really did foresee this this evolution of sorts. But that I'm what I'm wondering is is that death of God, that death of the outside control, that as he saw it, and the. I don't think they didn't have a word for secularism at the time, but he envisioned this this kind of malaise coming over the population that without an external force or control, force of control that would also take away the people's purpose. 
and that so w- what people would devolve into is something like disinterested consumers right that are so disconnected from their own individual truth they don't even know what to look for and that what I find in most of my friends and people that I talk to that are kind of heavily in the throes of and as I was before in the throes of this kind of corporate environment or even just any kind of job or career I guess is what you could say right that you find many of these people say there's people that obviously have jobs that they love but that most people recognize they're few and far between (laughs) it's kind of miraculous in a way if you find one (laughs) right so that what that means, if you accept that, is that, that most people are unhappy or at least unfulfilled in the jobs that they do, regardless of the structure they operate within. What that means is that the human being, from what I can tell, is not meant to work. Now, that sounds weird, right? It doesn't make any sense. We well, have to work, Chris. Well, yes. You have to provide for yourself in a monetary sense. That's the way our economy is structured. So, yes, there's a necessity to work. But that the way in which we've allowed that economic system to infiltrate and influence people almost religiously, giving them purpose, as if money and, a, and climbing a ladder wasn't going to have a logical endpoint that wouldn't continue, right? Or that maybe the whole point is that the ladder never ends, right? That is, is the point of the rat race, and that the mo- that money isn't finite anymore, <laughs> and so that. You can just keep people going round and round and round. You take away their source. You tell them there's nothing else out there. There's nothing else guiding you. This isn't predetermined. This is random. You're nothing but a consuming thing. You're nothing but a mechanism. Something that goes out into the world's world and performs a certain function. And that the best thing you could do with your life is to go figure out which function you perform the best and to perform it every day, day over day, and to put everything you have into that until you get to a point that we, a finishing line we call retirement. But to be the most productive in those years, to squeeze every inch, every drop of blood, sweat, and tears out of that individual before we turn them loose. That it's not until we, we as a society, as an economy, deem the person unfit to produce properly anymore that we allow retirement to become a reality. <laughs> right? <laughs> and yet we ask ourselves why people are unhappy in this, this kind of a system. Why our political system is devolved as well. That I do believe that What's happened politically, the, the devolution, the corruption of our political system, I think, I believe, is directly correlated to a improperly identified flaw within the economic system we have. But you have to be very careful when you say that, because you'll immediately, if you're not careful, go right into the Marxism ideas. <laughs> Because essentially what it is is a criticism of capitalism and the system that grows from it, right? But that most philosophies, 
regardless of if you agree with the entire the ideology itself, you pro you shouldn't. I don't believe you should ever prescribe to one way of thinking. One simplified method of thought, an ideology, is every time going to be wrong. Why? Because it's dependent on individual perspective, and your perspective is not enough to take in the broad sweat of, of being. So that if anybody says they have, like I said last episode, you can tell them to screw off. You know immediately they're lying. That you hear talk of, especially politically right now, things like UBI, Universal Basic Income. You hear talk of industries dying. We have the coronavirus happening where thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are losing their jobs. Unemployment has gone up, right? I see this in my own life, in DoorDash, what I'm doing right now for money. How much busier it's gotten uh, in a driver sense. How many more people there are doing that, that were not doing that a year ago because I was doing it a year ago, right? <laughs> It's dramatic, this change that's happening. But that if we're not careful and we don't re readily identify the ways in which our economic and political system are feedbacking right now, are, are reverberating against each other and causing bad problems in either, that we, it will fall apart. And that I, I, I don't like to be a fear monger, monger, but I do feel like we are at a point where it is falling apart. And that I do think this might be the point in time where it's necessary to recognize that, accept it, and try to figure out what the next looks like. What does the new world look like? You want to be an early adopter. Because any grand change like this any change to any system requires burning off of the old. It requires a wildfire. A lot of trees get consumed in that wildfire. <laughs> so that it's necessary to pollinate a new space. That you as, a, as an individual need to move in a sense. Not out of the United States, but need to move in a spiritual sense need to move shift our we need to shift our perspectives from viewing this external world from looking at the external world and the systems that other men have created other men and women from raising those people and putting placing them on pedestals as if they weren't flawed themselves as if they didn't intend this to be an experiment as if the comfort we're experiencing now isn't a product of the suffering of the people that have come before us. It always is. So that if we want to continue to be comfortable and we haven't done anything for that comfort, we haven't sacrificed for that comfort in some way, the world will devolve. Entropy will take, it will take hold. Things will fall apart. All of the structure that we created will continue to crumble because it already is. Because we aren't maintaining it. Fresh ideas, different perspectives, 
novel ideas, the type of thing that only comes from an individual themselves speaking their own truth is the only way that we find whatever the answer is to this. That it's not going to be in a recount of the election, whether you agree with it or not. That it's not going to matter who does become the president of the United States in the next you know, two months. That unfortunately, folks, what we're noticing throughout this election and this political process is that we, what we have and what I've, I've come to a conclusion of is that what we have is something like a banana republic. It's just become obvious in this election. How long has it been that way? I don't know. That's what's disturbing. We've raised democracy itself. This is a really critical thing to say, but it's, it's the only way I could view it at this point. We've placed democracy itself on a pedestal. We've placed the Democratic Republic of the United States on a pedestal as if it's something that's founded, as if it's something that shouldn't be changed, as if it's something that won't be flawed in some way or isn't flawed in some way. It's like we're in cars and we're driving towards the cliff. There's signs popping up saying, hey, cliff's ahead, cliff's ahead. All you need to do is turn left or right. Cliff's ahead, cliff's ahead, just turn left or right. We're just blaring music, laying back, and we just run right off that cliff, right? Because it's comfortable in the car. It takes energy to turn. <laughs> you know what I mean? It takes a lot of energy to turn that sucker. That what we are about to do is walk through the fire. The wildfire. And that if you don't have a guide, a guidepost, a landmark internally to follow, when that wildfire erupts, all external ones will go away. They'll be consumed in the chaos. That the mushiness of the world, the lack of an objective reality is about to show its freaking face. It's already peeking out. <laughs> What does that mean practically for people? What can any one individual do right now to stop the chaos that is obviously consuming the Western world? Nothing. <laughs> but I don't mean that in a nihilistic sense. You really can do nothing to solve a problem as big as that. You're not enough. Not even close. You can make sure you're the thing that recognizes the landmarks internally. You can go find those before the wildfire. <laughs> right? I read an article this morning. It actually was off of Timcast. I watched Tim Pool on YouTube quite a bit. Very interesting channel if you want. Uh, information that's <laughs> somewhat apolitical but it's still fairly political um, now it's it's very political but he tries to be balanced I guess is the best way to put it but he was reading an article and it was about the uh, you know we've been hearing a lot in the last couple months of about Antifa right and, and the extreme left and the violence and the riots uh, that's that stemmed from Antifa and the Black Lives Matter uh, protests but that what we haven't seen here yet 
is the right version of that. But that what is very quickly assimilating in this period between the election and the inauguration is something like the craziness on the right as well. That the largest militia in the United States has said that they will not accept Joe Biden as the president regardless of what the results are. It's an act of militia. That's smoke. That's the smoke and the tinder before the wildfire erupts. Because you have to think about what you have in the left side. The same kind of thing. What is the left saying? The same thing. There's no way that Donald Trump would win this. There's no way that a recount would be fair. That the election results are already founded. <laughs> and that you need to just smile and agree with them. But there's no way you can envision a world in which that extreme left left side that has been out in the streets rioting and plundering and destroying stuff is going to accept an election outcome after all of this chaos and confusion. No way. And then you have the right saying the exact same thing. The extreme right saying there's absolutely no way after what we've seen. So that what we have is a general distrust, at least on the extremes, from what I can tell in this country, of in the actual in the in the reliability of the electoral system itself which is what the entire the legitimacy of the government is based on duly elected representatives so now that the process of duly electing representatives has fallen apart there's nothing to hold the legitimacy of the government together so that regardless of what individual gets in the the political uh, political office in the next couple months We now have a banana republic. It's a sad day. But I also a necessary recognition that needs to take place. That we have to have that hard talk as Americans. We have to sit down and we have to recognize what is happening here. That what we're seeing on the TV and that what we're seeing in the streets and that what we're about to see is the crumbling of what we've created. And that what that necessitates is for us to start creating something new. Is for us to understand the process through which this system was created. Is to understand how, pe how people, human beings coming before us, have established anything founded, period. It's miraculous that human beings have made anything that lasts longer than a, a human lifetime, period. But that not only, not only have we done that, we've, we've assimilated the entire world into something like a universal consciousness. We're going through growing pains of it, with it right now, right? And I've been critical of people like Elon Musk and technology's role in this transition because I believe it's kind of the deity of the secularists. That, that, that technology itself is treated as a god in itself and and that I, I try to push back a little bit against that because I feel like technology is a tool. And I, I sometimes go too far the other way where I attack technology as if it's a distraction of sorts that's pulling us more away from the truth, but it isn't. Technology isn't unnatural. There's this problem, and there was a Joe Rogan podcast, a guy talked about this, the problem with the way we define the word natural 
We think of, of, of human beings as separate from the processes through which everything else in nature operates. But that we aren't separate from any of those processes. That the theory of evolution literally is we are the process. All of us. The birds are the process. Right? The grass is the process. Everything. The earth itself moving is the process. The tectonic plates moving, forming, morphing. That we aren't separate from that. And what that entails is whatever comes from the mind of the human being is as natural as a grasshopper or a tree. That this camera I'm talking to you on and the computer that I'm using this to record with is a natural thing. Just not in the way we like to define natural. Let's try to define it really quick, actually. This is off of Google, as you guys can see, existing in or caused by nature, not made or caused by humankind. So this is why it, we have this definition. I think the definition is wrong. And I think that's what that gentleman was arguing for in that Joe Rogan episode. Existing or caused by nature, not made or caused by humankind. Was humankind caused by nature then? Where did humankind come from? <laughs> by that definition, right? What, did we just like plop into existence? That seems like more of a divine way of explaining humankind and its, and, and its appearance on the, the historical scene. But that if you are secularist and you agree with evolution and you agree with this definition of nature, they all don't go together. They don't work together. The definition's wrong. Let's go to the second one. Of or in agreement with the character or makeup of or circumstances surrounding someone or something. That's a mouthful. That doesn't really help, does it? There's another one. A person regarded as having an innate gift or talent for the particular task or activity. Natural. Mm, that's an interesting way to, to, to define it, too. A person regarded as having an innate gift or talent for a particular task or activity. What would the innate talent gift... What would our innate gift or talent be as humankind, human beings? What's the innate gift of the dog? What's the innate gift of the... of Or purpose, I guess you could you could, you could could say, of, of the bird or the grasshopper? It almost always is in relation to what surrounds it in the in nature right that the purpose we find the purpose of the hummingbird we find the purpose of the lion by looking at its environment looking at where it comes from its role within that within that environment because it is a part of the environment yet when we look at human beings we don't do the same thing and it's most likely because our perspective is limited and one of the fascinating things you'll find if you go and read some of the experiences astronauts have had either on the moon or when they're out uh, doing a spacewalk and they view the world, the globe, that many astronauts have described something like a spiritual experience occurring. There's a perspective shift that happens. Quote about seeing the Earth from space. Let's read this real quick, and we will end on that, guys. 
The overriding impression I got of life on Earth is how robust it is. Life has managed to essentially com completely cover this planet in all sorts of different places. It finds a way. That's Ed Lu. I'm just going to read all of these for you real quick. This is off of spacequotations.com. When I watched the horizon, I saw the abrupt, abrupt contrasting transition from the Earth's light-colored surface to the absolutely black sky. I enjoyed the rich color spectrum of the Earth. It was surrounded by a blue light. Or, uh, I can't read that. I want to say areola, but I don't think that's the right. <laughs> that gradually darkens, becoming turquoise, blue-violet, and finally cool black. It suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the Earth. I put up my thumb and shut one eye, and my thumb blotted out the planet Earth. I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. The point I'm trying to get at here, folks, is that we have an inability to be critical of ourselves because we view ourselves as something that is divine in nature already. That secularism has de defined us as gods, whether it's chosen to or not. Because of that, we view ourselves as separate or godlike in relation to nature. We've actually defined ourselves as that in that way. Because of that, we haven't been critical of the systems we've built. We haven't recognized that they are outgrowths of the human being, that they are of evolutions of sorts. One of those being the United States and the development of a democratic republic, period. That even though the Founding Fathers called it an experiment, we haven't maintained it in that way. Because of the way our philosophies have developed externally. The ways in which our economic and political systems interplay. that The negative ramifications of that and the inability for us to rein those in. So that what we need is something like an outside perspective to remind us that we come from the earth, that we're a part of it, not separate from it. And with that, folks, that is the Unfounded Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed talking about this topic, um, going over all of it. I don't know if I really tied it all together very well with... Uh, uh, with my original quote by Charles Bukowski. I wanted to talk a little bit more about him, but hey, we have plenty of time to do that any other uh, any other show, right? So uh, I really appreciate you. If you've joined me thus far, if you've been watching this whole time, thank you very much live. Any listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. Again, if you guys want to support me anyway, please check out my Facebook, my Instagram, my Twitter, uh, or my Patreon page. Uh, all of the uh, links are down there in the corner for you. And I, like I said, I genuinely appreciate uh, your listenership. So uh, stay sane out there, folks. Don't allow this world to kind of... Don't look into the world for answers. Find them internally. That's where truth lies. That is the Unfounded Podcast. Signing off. Till next time, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>